Welcome, Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the podcast that gets deep into the psyche of extraordinary achievers across all genres, cutting to the chase to unlock the secrets of their success, their achievement, philosophies, and motivations. Join us in the quest to find out what makes the movers and shakers of our world tick and what gems of wisdom we can learn from them. Now, over to your host, Lisa Tamati. Welcome to the show, everybody. Lisa Tamati here, and today I have a man from Rotorua with me who is a respected Maori elder and who is a leader amongst our people. He is Nahihi Otera Bidwa, and he has quite an incredible, had an quite an incredible life. He's an international speaker, he's an author, he's uh, got a master's in education and a, a bachelor's in, in marketing. He has worked in the primary, tertiary and secondary school areas and has run his own businesses and is on the, a number of trusts and is the director of a number of organisations as well. Uh, he's an incredible man with quite a, um, a great story to tell uh, about how he got in touch again with his culture uh, why he wears a full face tamoko, uh, and yeah, his story is very inspiring. So let's hear from Nahihi Otera Bidwa. Well, welcome to the show, everybody. It's Lisa Tamari here at Pushing the Limits, and today I've got a very special guest in, uh, with me online on Skype today, all the way from Rotorua, Nahihi Otera Bidwa. Welcome to the show, Nahi. Yeah, Lisa, it's great to be here on your show. <laughs> it's fantastic to have you all the way from Rotorua. Um, today, we're going to go into the, a little bit into your background. So let's uh, start there. Let's say, uh, what you know, what do you call yourself at the moment? You have had many titles throughout your life. What would the main ones be? Yeah, the current roles would be professional speaker. So I speak on leadership all over the world. And the other one is professional director. So I'm on a couple of trusts and boards and I guess as well as that, I'm an author, father, husband, all of the other things. And yeah, really enjoying life as it rolls out at the moment. Wow, that's, um, yeah, that's a fair whack of things all in one mouthful. Um, <laughs> especially uh, the author and speaker and uh, director part of it. Now you've got a couple of degrees too, haven't you? Or a couple of many degrees. You've got uh, business and marketing. I believe, a bachelor's. And yeah, that's right. Yeah, and from, a master's in, what was your master's in? A master's in education. Wow. Uh, and you've also got a couple of other diplomas and... Uh, yeah, diploma and teaching. So they, they basically cover my background. I got a business studies degree and started in the corporate sector before changing over to the, the education sector, became a secondary school teacher, so I got a diploma in teaching for that, and then that led to the, I guess, uh, Masters in Education when I picked up other roles in the tertiary sector as a lecturer, etc., etc. Wow, that, yeah, it's quite an impressive um, academic background and, and corporate background. But were you, you know, born to this, Nahi? Where did you come from? Tell us a little bit about your childhood. Yeah, no, I... At a stage in my life when I didn't know what I was doing or where I was heading, actually, and ended up leaving home after my relationship with my father broke down and staying with my grandmother, who sorted me out, really, and put me on, <laughs> on the straight and narrow. And she said, look, I'll take you on, Mokopuna or grandson, as long as you go back to school. So I had to go back to 
my year 12 or form 6 as we say it and do that all again. I tell people my two favourite years at school and we're both in form 6. <laughs> and uh, after that went on to form 7 and opportunities opened up from there and one of them was a scholarship. They chose 16 people from throughout New Zealand to go to Massey University and do business studies degree. And with the support of my grandmother who I was living with, put my hand up and just walked along that path from then, Lisa. Wow. So, wow. so your grandma was a was a really integral figure in your uh, young your young life. Yeah, definitely, and there were definitely chains you know, or bars around my mind that people had created by saying I couldn't do anything. My life was amount to nothing, but my grandmother. And the two years I lived with her gave me other proverbs, including Nati Fakaro Ka Ora Te Tangata, which means the thought creates a person. And she would hug me and say, Look, doesn't matter what anyone else says about you, Moko. What's the most important thing is what you think about yourself. And wow. she taught me to think good thoughts about myself, to look in the mirror and talk to myself and say, Yep, and let's give it a shot. <laughs> and I guess you... I've just been giving it a shot ever since, Lisa. Yeah, could you take that on, though, as a young man? I mean, a lot of. Young young guys, um, you know, who are struggling with with the world and society and schooling and parents, uh, you know, tend to go off the rails and, and won't listen to to their to their wise grandmas in this case, um, you know, that tell them all these these wisdoms. Um, you know, did you manage to take that on pretty much straight away, or did you have a battle too to to really, you know, for her to get through to you? Yeah, no, I had a high level of respect for my grandmother all my life, really. I'd, I'd stayed with her on and off, you know, during my childhood. I'd go there for holidays and I'd go around and at this stage in my secondary school, I'd be going around and mowing their lawns now and then. So yep. I already had that high level of respect. However, I realised that if she hadn't taken me on, I'd have been out on the street. Wow. You know, I just didn't have a home that I felt was safe and a relationship that with my dad that I thought was safe and yep. the only option was the street of my grandmother and fortunately my, my grandmother took me on. So oh, I guess, yeah, when I when I think of other people, life is tough, you know, but we, I guess I had to get to that stage where I realised it's either this or nothing and fortunately my grandmother picked me up. So and everyone's life is different, I guess, but we all, I believe, given opportunities and one of my favorite proverbs is opportunities of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of that opportunity and <laughs> for me you know in my life that was an opportunity to go and stay with my grandmother and and she just absolutely turned my life around yes it's very important for every single person to have at least one mentor or one uh, person who's who's backing them eh? who's got got their back and who who, who helps them through those emotionally hard times, especially with young people, uh, you know, who are often lost and, and maybe warring against their parents, which is quite normal at that sort of an age. If they can just find one friend or one mentor to help them through that process, it can have a, a massive impact on, on and lasting impact on someone's life. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree, Lisa, and it's just been a part of my life ever since. You know, my grandmother taught me to the importance of having a mentor and having someone to support me and speak into my life. And so now, right through my professional career, I've always had mentors and I've got three mentors even now, one overseas and two in New Zealand who 
I'll give calls or just go for lunch or coffee and they've got to right to ask me any question any time. Yep. Now, I think it's really important. And it, it is hard though, you know, yeah. finding a mutual, someone you trust. It's very, very, very hard, especially when you're a young person and not quite know. And this is where, you know, a lot of things go wrong. They pick the wrong types of people who haven't got the, <laughs> the, the wisdom or, you know, that can push them into the wrong areas of life. Um, but you really turned your life around, and, and your grandma told you that education was super important, didn't she? Yeah, she did. And for me, it was really, it was one of her life goals as well. She wanted to have a mokopono who had finished their secondary school. And that's why she said to me, look, if you come and live with me, I want you to finish your fishing, your secondary schooling. And, and I was the first, the first of wow. her mokopono to do that. And to go on and that also motivated me, encouraged me to go on and get my other degrees and my masters and everything for my grandmother, you know, and, and for me it's it's about the importance of education too, I believe. That education opens up so many doors that we just would never know about. Yeah, absolutely. Um and you but you you know, you, you first went into the corporate sector and I remember, you know, I've heard uh, Nahi and I were both speaking at an event, you know, for the listeners uh, recently in, in, in Christchurch and I know in your early story you, you turned away from your Māori tanga your Māori side was more in the background and you were you know taught to get on in the for the want of a better word the white man's world and get on with education uh, and, and, and get on in that world what sort of effect did that have on your young mind? Yeah that, that's true Lisa I recall having a sister my, my sister had a dog and this dog was a little fox terrier white fox terrier with a brown eye and his name was Fetu and my sister taught that dog Māori if you wanted Fetu to come to you you'd say hello mai which means come here and Māori yep. if you wanted him to sit say inohui he'd sit here too he'd stand huri huri he'd roll around that jolly dog knew more Māori than us, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> was that an eye-opener, uh, was it? Yeah. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a reality of our, our lives at that time that our parents who were fluent in Māori when they went to school had it strapped out of them. Yeah. And my mother was a, was a native, full-blooded Māori, and she went to school, you know, Indigenous person, fluent in her language, and had that language strapped out of her. So when we came along, I was the eldest child, they refused to teach us Māori. And they said, look, the only way you're going to get on in this world, the only way you're going to succeed is to not learn your language, to be good at English and to be good at the subjects in school, etc., etc." So that's how they brought us up. And, you know, it was okay to teach a dog Māori, but not us kids. <laughs> well, isn't, isn't that an indictment of the times? Um, oh. Yeah. And, and a sad indictment of, of the situation. And, and my family was exactly the same. And, uh, you know, I'm paying the price of that still today, really. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah it's, it was a sad time when... And I, and I can understand the reasoning of the, the parents thinking, yeah. this, is a, this is a culture that's gone, that's passed, we've got to, we've been assimilated, we have to get on in this world. And there's no use you learning all that rubbish, so to speak, you know, that, that in, in, uh, what, what they would consider be long lost and gone. Yeah, I, I guess, Lisa, I can understand that too, you know, it was a changing world for them and it was a part of the colonisation process, it was a part of 
the Crown not adhering to the principles of the treaty whereby the Crown said that they would look after our language and our tikan and, and didn't. And lots of things happened in my father and mother's generation, which are just sad. And my grandmother was a part of that too, you know. She, when I was living with her, she didn't teach me Māori. And, and it wasn't until later, when, like a lot later, after I got my first degree, married my beautiful wife, Carolyn, and she went on to, well, actually, I met her. I had a crossroads, as I shared at their conference with her. I had a crossroads, Lisa, where I was challenged, and by that time I had my business degree. I was in a high-flying career with a multinational oil company, had a nice uh, car, saved up for a house, and looking forward to a really good career, etc. And, and then I had a crossroads where I was challenged by a Māori guy. He said they found it hard to find Māori leaders who will help them working with Māori and they were working with streets, street kids in Auckland at that time. Yep. He said the reason why is because all of these Māori people gained success through degrees and high-flying careers and marrying a Pākehā woman like myself. And in the end, they turned their back on the culture, just like my, grand, my grandparents and my parents had. Yep. And they don't want to know who they are. And that really challenged me to think, well, maybe I, I should find out about my culture. Maybe I should learn who I am and... You know, it just broke my heart when I realised I didn't know who I was. Wow. You know, I didn't know what how to speak my own language. I didn't know what it meant to be Māori. And so I had to make a decision to learn to be Māori. And that had to start with learning the Māori language. And I remember my beautiful wife speaking to me as I was crying about all of this. And she said, what do you want me to do? I said, oh, I don't know, it's your choice. But I know it has to start with learning the language. And she said, no. I've seen you walk successfully in my world, in other words, her, yep. her Pākehā world. I'll follow you into yours. And she spent a year with me learning my language, Lisa, and that, oh. that was just mind-blowing, you know? Yeah, what a commitment. And, um, and so, yeah, she, we learned the language for a year, and after that she went on to Massey University and got a BA in Management Information Systems and Business and uh, Māori Studies. And she came back after a two-minute conversation with a lecturer who also had a Pākehā wife, but his wife was fluent in Māori, etc. And he, she said to me, you know what, Nahi, when, when our children are born, I would like us to only speak Māori to them. Wow. And that was, that was huge for us. And so that's what we did, you know. We thought, well, it, it didn't work with my grandmother's dead generation and my father's generation. The language is nearly lost. Let's pick it up. So we took up that uh, rako, if you want, that challenge, and, and only spoke Māori to our kids and put them through kohanga reo. My wife would take them to kūra kōpapa Māori as well, and now we're both in university, we're both fluent in Māori and speak perfect English, etc. And my son is fourth year med school, my daughter's about to start a, a nursing degree, but they walk in both worlds, and they're a new generation, you know, they Fantastic. they know what it means to be Māori and they know what it means to walk in this modern day world. And they've, they've had that opportunity from the get-go because yeah. of your foresight and, and, and so they, they don't feel that, that loss or that or have to go back and actually learn it, which, you know, to, to speak to your children in, in Māori only, um, I know, mm. I mean, I speak um, German, I lived in uh, Austria for many years and I know how hard that would actually be to speak only in that language to your children because you still get things wrong, don't you? And I bet you 
that they probably correct you now, being native speakers, um, as opposed to someone who's picked it up in the in the twenties or thirties. Um, you know, it's a long road to learn a language fully and completely. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and it was. It was a bit like you know when I was teaching, it was making sure that you're staying ahead of the kids, and it was the same <laughs> with us teaching the kids Māori. We had to stay ahead of them, and we we're watching all the programs and reading all the books and doing all the learning that we could so that they had good language and then when they got to a certain level they were actually screamed ahead of us Lisa and yeah. in the end you know what it was interesting because there were a couple of interesting things that happened along our journey one was when we started speaking Māori to our kids and we told my parents my mother had passed by then actually but I, I told my dad and uncles and aunties and they all just went berserk and said, oh, how can you do that? You know, that's a waste of language. And so we, we um, even my grandmother just absolutely went us. They, because of the colonisation process they had been under, yep. they could not see any sense in it at all. Oh, that's you know? tragic. And, um, yeah. yeah, it was. It was a tragedy. And so the people who we thought we were going to be able to rely on, we couldn't. Oh. And so it was, a, it was a bit of a lonely journey there for a while until... What happened was my kids got to the age, around three or four, where they would start speaking to my grandmother in Māori and my father in Māori, and suddenly the challenge was back on them about, oh, how come I haven't learnt my language, you know? Yep, yeah, and they could see and, a future um, in this rather than it being a negative. Yeah, 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 that's right. And, and <laughs> one of the interesting things, Lisa, was my father was so challenged that he actually went back and learnt his language and he went back to the marae and he was the eldest son of the eldest son and he took his place on the pai pai and as recent as last year was it is was acknowledged as the leading elder at our tribe in our tribe oh, amazing so it was a complete turnaround for him and he now knows that he's got me backing him up and his grandson who speaks a better language than both of us you know yeah is the next level but that's not to yeah so that must yeah. have taken a huge process especially for someone of, of your father's age when he took it up um oh, that, that's even yeah, mass, yeah. more bigger you know bigger more commitment than what you made um was, yeah. because that you know you, you don't learn so easily and quickly and of course you're set in your ways and you you know yeah most people yeah. think no, you know no, by no. the time they're in their 50s uh it's their way or the highway sort of thing <laughs> when yeah. it comes to philosophies in life you're sort of pretty set um to to humble yourself and to go back and actually learn all that thing and then to go actually onto the marae and to take your place i know um when we shared a little bit about our backgrounds when we were at the speaking um conference um my parents too my my, my father my mother is pakeha my, my father maori and but they grew up very anti-maori uh, and very separate from Maori society, um, and once again they had them strapped out of them at school. So yeah. his parents spoke Maori, but they never spoke it to the children, and they were too told that they had to get on in this world and to forget all that. And my father had never found his way back there, um, and never, and, and consequently our family never found its way back because. We were completely one step back from that whole experience. Now, during schooling, I remember mum take my mum, who was Pākehā, trying to get us to learn, trying to take us to the marae, and she would make that effort, you know, as we were youngsters. 
and then at high school I learned the language but we had absolutely dreadful teachers at that stage you know because they just weren't they didn't know the skills of teaching they were just native speakers and they didn't know how to teach us and so that 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 fire went out um and and me and then um I, I do remember in the teenage years when I was going to start university and thing being right into it there for for a period of time and then getting quite disillusioned with it as, as well. I had a lot of friends who became very radicalized in the Maori movement and that put me off actually because it was yeah. they were very anti and I was never anti. I mean I walked with one foot in both worlds. I didn't see how I could be anti. Um yeah. And so that, that, you know, that journey has meant that consequently, you know, and then I spent, uh, you know, 13, 14 years overseas and, and really lost that, you know, and now as, as a very old person, <laughs> we're not very old, but, you know, get in there, yeah. uh, right up there. It's hard, it's hard to take that, that step back into that world. And it can be a frustrating world too. Would you agree? Yeah. You know, like... Uh, and when you've walked in the, in the Pākehā way of doing things your whole life, I sometimes find it very frustrating, if I'm completely honest, the amount of talk yes. and lack of action that I see when I try and, and, and move back into those circles and, and often get very frustrated uh, with the pace of things. Um, is that something that you've come up against too, or have you never really felt that to be the case? Or why? Why is why is that? Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you said, Lisa. It's, it's not an easy journey, and I guess for your listeners, if we outline a couple of things that don't happen if you're not at the Marae, one is if your relationship isn't with the Marae isn't that good, then you may not end up lying at the Marae when you pass. You know you which is a ritual that our tribe go by. You may not get buried in our our iwi cemetery. You you may not get invited to important functions. You There's just so much that happens at the marae that people don't know about. The marae is the last bastion, I see it as the last bastion of Māori, being able to be Māori. And, and for us as Māori, I think that's important, you know, and I agree with what you're saying. I, I had friends as well who were radicals, and I just didn't want to have anything to do with them either. And I thought, what is what is the good stuff about this language, about about learning the culture? And, and I've found so many amazing things about our culture, even the way we think. We, see, you know, yep. we think totally different. My, my thinking cap, put it this way, my thinking cap when I'm in a park, our world is totally different to one when I'm in a Māori world, and being able to transfer both of them is, is quite important to both worlds, I think, as you, as you were saying, you know, it's a lot of talk and, and not as much action in the Māori world, whereas another one that's almost action before you do the, the discussions and do the, the consents and everything else, so it's a, it's a combination of both worlds is outstanding. Do you, you, know, do you, you know, we talked about mentors, eh, and... Yep. Uh, I think it's important to have those mentors as well. I was fortunate when I was coming back into the Māori world to, to have outstanding Māori mentors who helped me back into the Māori world. Yeah, and that's probably what's uh, something that's been lacking in, in my journey, if you like. Um, and it, it is very hard, you know, even though you, you carry a Māori name, you, you identify as Māori, I'm prou- proud of that side of me. I still feel, that, you know, that lack of connection to the marae um, 
and lack of connection to the happenings. Um, you know, the what's happening in our political and social world, social world as Māori in our in our community. And uh, partly, I'm to blame probably for that for separating yourself out and living your own life um, as well. But it, you know, it's, it is a shame to have lost the skill set, if you like, of this type of generation, people like me who could be offering so much more um, and we're not um, and that's and I, I don't know what the answer is to that um, uh, you know, how, how to find your way back there and each, of course each tribe is different too and each yeah. circumstances is different and then there's these early histories where you, you know, had feuds and fights between families and all sorts of dramas <laughs> and not being a very political person anyway <laughs> I sort of steer clear of any, uh, any of all that conflict <laughs> but you you have successfully walked in and your children are doing that now and let's talk about some of the roles that you've had since you've gone back and got your Masters of Education, learnt your language um, some of the roles that you've taken on you know, as a consequence of your journey yeah, so I set goals, you know, I think goal setting, as you know, is really important. So when I was with my grandmother, we set a few goals and five goals actually to achieve by the time I was 30. One was to get a degree, one was to have a, a nice house, which was, you know, an indication of where I would be at financially. Uh, one, was, one was to be married, obviously. I wanted to be married and have kids. Um, another one was to have a high-flying Korean a career, and my final one was to have a flash car, which I, <laughs> I think was a, was a real guy goal. Yeah, and so yeah. I had those five goals to achieve by the time I was 30 and, and achieved them when I was 26. Uh-huh. And I remember, <laughs> I remember sitting on a hotel bed thinking, man, you know, life, life is good. Life just couldn't be any better, and it was... Within six months, that I was challenged by that guy and found myself in nine months' time unemployed, learning the Māori language. I'd, I'd chosen to be unemployed and learn the Māori language. So I had to obviously realign my goals, and I thought, well, the core goal is to become Māori. And whatever happens, <laughs> I guess, whatever happens as a result of that happens, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, and I just, at that time, thought, well, if it's the right decision, then my ancestors will look after me, there'll be doors opening and other things will happen. So I just set a goal of becoming Māori, and that meant being unemployed for a year, learning the Māori language, and then seeing what happened after that. Well, what happened after that was I ended up, the Māori guys on the course that I was with said, look, you want to help Māori, we need teachers. Like, just like you said, Lisa, you know, we need Māori teachers who know how to teach know how to teach the language and who can help us into business courses etc to help our our young people to be better prepared for the future and they said no we think you'd make a great teacher and um, so I went to teachers college became a teacher and thought well let's just see what happens from here and within a year I was uh, (laughs) the head of the Māori department came to me and said Nahi you're taking my job <laughs> and I, you had to have two years before you become a fully qualified teacher. And I said to him, No, you can't do that. I'm not even a fully qualified teacher. He goes, Well, tough. I'm leaving. I've told the boss that you're going to take my place. <laughs> and I've told every other Māori 
teacher in the Manor 2, I was down in the Manor 2 at that time, not to even bother applying for my job because it's your job. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and um, and I, I remember going into the, the principal's office with Uncle Bill, was his name, Uncle Bill Hohepa from up north, uh, the next day into the principal's office and the principal said to me, Nahi, Uncle Bill says that you're going to be doing his job next year. What do you say to that? <laughs> and I remember thinking, I, I said to him, well, far be it for me to deny a, a wise man's wisdom. Yeah, it's <laughs> an opportunity and the support, Yeah, <laughs> and the support of one of my co-martyrs. So I said, yep, I'll do it on one condition. And that is, I continue to teach economics and accounting because I also want to encourage our Māori students to take those courses, you know. And what I was really doing was I thought if I was taking those courses then I would be able to employ someone else besides me in the Māori department and hopefully someone a lot younger than me and we could work through projects and, and programs and all kinds of things together, which, which is what happened really. And so I ended up doing that and was able to do really cool stuff like ask the kids one day how many of them had breakfast and three quarters of them hadn't, hadn't. So we set up a room in the back of the class, which was a big classroom for Māori studies era, and we set up a separate room and had a zip and saw some sponsors about breakfast and the kids had to buy their own milk, but they came to, from then on, they came to school at 8 o'clock and had breakfast with their mates and started their day and just enjoyed schooling more. And yeah, you were just, doing like Lisa's uh, eat, my, eat My Lunch. We, we met yeah, Lisa yeah, Lisa's recently together, didn't we? And she's, she's taken that to the Eats degree. <laughs> yeah, she was great. Yeah, yeah the business buys a lunch and then they, they give a free lunch to a kid in school. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, great yeah. program. Yeah, got to have her on next. Yeah. But back, yeah, so back, so you took on that challenge even though you were probably thinking, oh, how the hell am I going to do this? Yeah, I'm in the deep end here. Um, <laughs> is, that, is that part of your life philosophy? Never turn out an opportunity when even if you're feeling scared and, and nervous and frightened and all those other good things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. My my grandmother taught me that. And you know when you when you've been to the bottom of the pit and you realise you know you know if your grandmother doesn't take you on, then the next step is who knows. Yeah. Then you're not scared of anything. I think. You know, not afraid to, you know, and I was ready to do that. I was ready to just go out and, and whatever it took to survive, go out and do it. And um, I guess uh, the mentality has been the same ever since of if a challenge is put before me, I see it as as coming from those who who know I can take it on. And that's, that's my biggest, I guess, from there, secondary school teacher, someone shoulder tapped me and said, no, you want to start a... Uh, Māori Studies program would like to take you and your wife Carolyn to Tauranga and start a, a Māori Studies program with teachers. And so we went to a teachers college in Tauranga and started that and that led to other things. And in the back of my mind, Lisa, I had the, this goal of also one day receiving a tāmako because I thought if I had a tāmako, which is a Māori, traditional Māori tattoo on my face, then I would have achieved many other goals. I would be fluent in my language. I would know my Māori protocols and tikanga. I would be a leader amongst my people. I would be someone who is serving their tribe and, and helping Māori as often as I can, wherever I can. And so to later in my life receive 
time walker, which is, I guess, my biggest challenge because I'm scared of needles. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big challenge then. Yeah, was, was I guess, the epitome for me of, of challenges, you know, and and so life has been a, a series of challenges, and and that's the biggest thing I I often you know I'll share with you and your listeners is the thing I find hardest to get through is is doors and you know this in your your leadership roles doors opening everywhere and I still feel I'm not good enough to walk through them. Yeah, constant constant imposter syndrome I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the, the funny thing is, you know, that ninety percent of people are, are in the same boat. When I talk to some of the most incredible achievers, they all feel yeah. like, but I'm not, I'm not really, you know, that I'm not really a runner. I'm not really a, a how that, you know, I'm not really a leader. I can't do that. And that <laughs> imposter feeling is, yeah. just permeates us. And the thing is that you and I, I think, the the difference is that you and I know that voice and know who that voice is and we yeah. know to tell them to bugger off <laughs> and uh, we're going anyway even if we feel yeah. like we're going to have to fake it till we make it as they say um yeah. but but taking those steps and doing it in blind face sometimes um you you, you do take on the challenges anyway and, and you obviously <laughs> have yeah and once again you know we spoke about mentors at the start so uncle bill said look Take it on, because I'm still going to be in the one or two, and I'll just come back and visit you every now and then. And so I said, oh, okay then, you know. And and I, what I find is when I do step through those doors, then the right people come anyway. You know, it's it's that whole teacher thing, isn't it? When the student is ready, the teacher appears, and that's what's happened all my life. Even as a, a professional speaker, I was, you know, ended up being the head of a a Māori department, I was actually the head of school for the School of Education in Māori and Arts, Fashion and Design and Journalism at the local polytechnic here in Rotorua. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was a challenge of starting my own businesses or not. And we thought, well, if we don't do it now, we'll never do it. So we once again stepped through that door and started a, a leadership consulting business. Someone came and saw me and did one of my leadership consulting sessions and said, no, you should be speaking. You should be a professional speaker. I didn't even know what a professional speaker was. I didn't know people got paid to speak here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and they said, look, I'll take you to Auckland and introduce you to people who are professional speakers at the National Speakers Association of New Zealand. And so once a month I'd travel in, I met all these wonderful people and they introduced me to people around the world and just opportunities opened up again and so for me it's it's just been about making sure i'm walking through the right doors and the question i ask myself is is this an opportunity or is it a distraction and you know there have just been so many i guess distractions along the way as well yeah that's a hard one uh, i struggle with that one too yeah have you found an answer to, to working that one out uh, yeah, yeah, I have, and it's been a, a heartbreaking one too because I've had to learn by default. So one of the areas I, I know not to go into now is uh, areas that I enjoy doing. So I enjoy playing golf. I'm a, I sit between a 10 handicap and a 13 handicap, and I'm comfortable with that. And I joined a little golf club, and within a year, people were saying, oh, no, you, we want you to be the president of this golf club. <laughs> 
I said, no, you know, no, I've come here to play golf. Yeah. <laughs> this is my downtime. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is my downtime, yeah. And I said, no, and then three years later, they were still asking, and I, I said, oh, okay, yeah, all right. But there are people I want in with me, so... And I knew I'd made the mistake, Lisa, straight away when I had my first game of golf after being elected president, and the the committee members who I'd never played golf with, who were still on the committee after I'd become the president, came and signed up to play golf with me. And from hole one, they were saying, oh, we need to do this with the golf course, and we need to do this with our members, and we need to... And I had to stop them at hole three and say, look, I've just come here to play golf now, you know, we'll do all that stuff later. Yeah. And I just had the worst, the worst game of golf. Yeah, it it, it took your downtime away from you. Yeah, and I realised I'd made a mistake, but I'd committed, and so I said, right, I'm going to give you guys two years. And in the two years, made a big difference to the club and did a lot of, you know, cool things and enjoyed a lot of things that I did as a leader there. And and the club transferred to Iwi leadership as well along the way, which just happened to be... Iwi I belong to, and all kinds of, lots of really good stuff happened. But at the end of that, Lisa and I learned, um, Lisa was to not mix my career or my job or my business or my profession with something I really enjoy, you know. And some people are fortunate to do that. The All Blacks, you know, well, they get to do that. They get to play rugby and enjoy it. But for me, I I realised I have to keep them separate and have my downtime, you know. Yeah, that, uh, and, and I think is when you're high profile and when you're out there and you're doing a lot of businesses and you're a leader and you're full on busy, um, and people come to you constantly uh, for help, for advice, for and you, you know, this is one of the reasons why I started the coaching business was because I realised I'm pouring all this massive amount of energy every single day when I should be working into into helping people, and then realising, hey, this should actually be. What I'm doing, you know, uh, and then trans- yeah. you know, have, transferring it from there, and, that, and that's a hard. Uh, and then that becomes difficult because you you don't want to be, you know, just making money out of it. You, you it's got to be your passion, and you want to give, but you also have to make a living now. Uh, and and that's that becomes a hard road to walk too. But those distractions and stuff, are, they come. Uh, and when you're a curious person and you're excitable <laughs> and you're passionate about things, you end up. In, in a you know involved in a thousand things and it's <laughs> for me now and I think for you too in this stage it's peering back and learning to say no to yeah. the smaller things in the service of the big things yes that you have and and I keep reminding myself of that saying every day when I end up wanting to op- open up another yet another business and do another thing and then realizing hang on you haven't got that one sorted yet um <laughs> <laughs> and now, yeah. you know, it's that, that journey that you're on of, of constantly – our lives would never be boring, would they? Because – No, no, you're right. And you're, I mean, you're a legend, though. You, you know, all the things that you're doing, and, and you're in just such a great place to, to be able to do what you've <laughs> what <laughs> you're passionate about. And that's insane with the running. I, I guess my I, – I found the passion in speaking. You know, I, I grew up really shy and – I'm a bit of a loner, etc. But I had leadership leadership roles all my life. You know, I was even though I wasn't the eldest cousin at 21st. My cousins, my other cousins, would say, "Right, now you get up there, you're speaking for all of us," and you know, things like that just happened. And yep. 
And so now to be a, a professional speaker, I've, I've found that's a real passion and something I really enjoy doing. And, something you're and, and it's a real key, isn't it, to, to finding a business as well. You know, as an entrepreneur, I, I think it's important that people find something that they really enjoy doing because, as people say, when you have a job that you enjoy doing, it's not a job. Exactly. And if you know, you know when you're in the right place, when you're making an impact, um, and that was one of the, the main themes of uh, that recent conference that we were at, and there were six of us, for the listeners out there, um, speaking on this day in a TEDx-style talk, and they were all entrepreneurs from you know tech billionaires through to uh, social um, uh, leaders like Lisa King and then Mahi and I and, and others, um, and that the whole theme that ran through the day is that this brand of entrepreneur wants to give back, wants to make yeah. an impact, None of us were there talking about how to make more and more profit. That mm. is a part of the parcel of of the thing that we all need to make money, we all need to make a living, but that is not the driving and one and only force behind any of us. And I think that is, uh, you know, uh, a great uh, be as well for the future if if people can look at an economics even in a more enlightened way, if you know what I mean. That there's more to it. There's more to starting a business and being a responsible employer or a responsible business person than just straight the bottom line profit. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's right, Lisa. One of the things my grandmother taught me as well because I was with her for two years and, and I can see now she was laying a platform for my life for when she wouldn't be around and, and just values based, you know, yep. and, and giving me a platform to launch from. And one of the real key probably she taught me was uh, and the, the basis of that proverb is if you would ask me what is the most important thing in this world from a Māori perspective I would tell you it is people it is people it is people and in all the businesses I've had and all the opportunities I've had to lead people that that value has been there because of my grandmother as well but it's also a key value of our culture and I've found that if I look after my people if I look after the people who contract me to speak if I ask them what they would like me to do and do my best to fulfill their goals from the platform if I do my best to inspire and motivate the people in the audience then all the profit and money and everything else comes anyway. Yeah. And it's, the money isn't the goal, the, the development of people is. The development of people is the goal. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and to making an impact and changing people's lives and, and being a guiding light. Because you know what, I think you, you had your grandma and she was the one who put those values and, and, and believed in you. And you said something mm. else there. Um, I had mentors who they believed I could do it, therefore I knew I could do it. And I think yeah. that that is a real um, thing that all of us need to be aware of when we're working with young people or not so young people, people needing guidance. We, and I find the same thing as a coach. When I say to one of my athletes, I know you can do this, whatever challenge they have coming up, they turn around invariably and they go and do it. If yeah. I, and part of the reason is is because I, well, you know, who they consider an expert in that area, says they can do yeah. it 
and then somebody believes in them, someone who knows what they're talking about believes them, therefore it is true. And as soon as they make that shift in the head, and it doesn't, it's nothing to do with me, it's that shift in their own head that goes, so-and-so think, thinks I can do it, therefore it is, must be true, it's not just me, and therefore yep. I can achieve it. And then they will go out and they will actually, they will live to that standard that you set them. Um, yeah. and, and it's phenomenal. When you don't have someone backing you, and this is why I'm very, you know, big on, on encouraging and believing in people, even if you're is the person outside thinking, crikey, it's going to be a hard road. You know, I've got a, a guy at the moment who I'm mentoring, and he's one of my coaches, actually, that coaches other athletes that, that we run, and he wants to do this magnificent, huge project next year, you know, and I won't let the cat out of the bag because it's all under wraps at the moment, but it, suffice to say it would be an athletic feat if he manages to do this. And it's in a time in his life when there's a whole lot of other stuff going on as well. And I know that this is going to be huge for him, but I also know him yep. and I know the steely determination that he has and I have no doubt that he will do it or he will, you know, he will give everything that he has to making that happen. Um, and that that belief in someone can work wonders is what I'm trying to get across, yeah. I think. And and we as leaders or as, as people in the community teaching young kids or whatever need to be aware of that factor. When when you say to young Jimmy, who's seven years old, you can't do that, what does young Jimmy do? He can't do it because you've said he can't, not because he hasn't actually got the ability, it's because you said he can't. Uh, yeah. and, and that is so powerful, and therefore we need to be very, very careful with what we, you know, what yeah. we do. Yeah, I, and that's exactly what happened with writing my book, Lisa. You know, people said, you should write a book because I've spoken at these conferences all over the world. And, and they said, we need a book to take home with us. You know, we need something to, to continue to challenge us. And so when I speak, I talk about looking in the mirror and ask the audience questions, not for me to know the answers but for them to ask themselves you know and call it reflective practice where they can reflect on answers for themselves and decide what works or not and then go away and practice it all seeking mentors and just work on things and so when I was doing the book I, I sat with a friend and we sat for one afternoon and, and wrote out all of the chapter uh, briefs and I said to him well how, do you, how long do you think it will take to write? He said I'll it's simple, I'll give you a year. <laughs> and that, that's what mentors do, isn't it? You yeah. know, they go, yeah, you can do this in a year. A and, so, <laughs> and, that's, and so for me, when they ask me what is an important proverb that you would like on the back of the book, there was only one proverb I could pick, and it's a Māori proverb, once again, that I learned on my journey back into my culture. It says, e tori, te toa takitahi, engari, toa, he toa takitini. And that translates as, my achievements are not mine alone, but those of many. Uh -huh. And I think, you know, it's, it's one thing, isn't it, Lisa, to, to have the mentors and to, to get on with your life and to, to be successful, whatever that means, and yeah. to walk through those doors and to, and to do all of these wonderful things and to to get to that place where you realise it wasn't you alone, that it was yeah, all of these other people behind me, all of these other people in front of me and the ones who have supported me. And that's that's a very humbling experience to 
to realize, as we said earlier, you know, it's just so difficult at times to even walk through the door now and then we need someone to come along and just push us through <laughs> the occasional door, you know? Yeah, give us a shove. Give us yeah. a shove. This is the way, young man. Yeah. <laughs> through you go. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, you have got your book out now. What is the title of your book and where can people uh, get your book? Uh, so the book is called Ancient Wisdom, Modern Solutions. My tagline as a speaker is Ancient Wisdom, ancient, Modern Solutions. So I talk about ancient wisdom from my Māori culture and as modern solutions for leaders today. And what I wanted to do in a part of, I guess, my journey back into my culture was to put my culture out there, to put the Māori culture out there on the world stage as an important culture that this was a culture that had been not nearly lost but was on the decline big time. Our language was nearly lost. And so I thought the best thing I can do for the language and for my culture is to just at least put it out there somewhere on the world stage. And and so as a speaker, that's what I try to do. I, I take aspects of our Māori culture, like some of the proverbs I've just explained, and present them as modern solutions for people today. And so the book isn't available yet. It's one of those things that we're developing yep. on putting it onto online. Mm-hmm. And I only sell it at conferences. We've got it at a couple of bookshops. If you walked into a New Zealand bookshop and said, I'd like Ancient Wisdom Modern Solutions by Ngahihi Otera Bidwai, they have the ability to look us up online and order the book. But we mainly sell it at conferences and, as I said earlier, we're looking at putting this book and other books that I'm going to write. And you can hold me to account on that, Lisa, onto (laughs) online as well. Yeah, I I really enjoyed the talk I had with you around your business plan and and the way you've developed things and just really appreciated your encouragement and advice around that to, to writing books and and looking at doing podcasts in the future and other things too, which thanks, yeah. thanks very much. Lisa. No, no, I love, I love, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm middle of the journey myself and we're at the beginning of the journey myself and I know lots of entrepreneurs out there are and so it's relevant to what we're speaking about um, and, you know, the opportunities that the digital world op- opens for people like us to actually get your message out there to create impact in the world and to have a bigger uh, impact Um is you know, huge opportunities, and for you and, and I and our generation, the challenge is working those technologies out because yeah. they're beyond me half the time. And I, and, and this is like learning another language, you know, learning all this technology, yeah. the digital stuff, the, the stuff that the younger That's generation true. find a hell of a lot easier is a heck of a battle for me, but I will not let it beat me. <laughs> and yeah. I'm determined to keep up <laughs> and, yeah. and to use the opportunity that this living in this day and age, uh, we have an opportunity that nobody in the history of mankind has ever had the chance when you live in little old New Zealand to reach audiences all around the world with your message, with your what you want to bring into the world, your, your hopefully your wisdom, your your philosophies, your beliefs. Uh, you have a stage that you've just got to find a way through all the muck and all the mm. terrible technical difficulties that are out there to, to get it out there. Um, and, you know, we're not alone. There's lot, thousands of people around the world taking this opportunity up, um, but there's enough space for us all, I think, out there uh, in the different genres that we're in. 
And, mm. you know, I think it really encourage you to, to take that as your next challenge on this journey of leadership to grow to the next level, to impact as many people as you can with your, and to put the Māori culture on stage on the world, like you said. Um, I think that's fantastic. Mm. Yeah, thanks. So, so you just said something which is real key, you know, when you said it's like learning a new language, and I thought, yeah, there you are. I've been there, done that, so that I've never seen it in that perspective, but you're right, it is. It's the, that field of technology which I've had. Yeah. And, and, you know? Yeah. yeah, it's just getting on to it, isn't it? And, and for me, it's been, you know, um, looking desperately for people to do it for me, and I don't want to have anything to do with it, and I've worked out that that ain't going to happen. <laughs> I have got to understand. I can go and get help. Yeah. areas where it's getting too deep and it's too hard and you can't be an expert in all areas but to have that understanding and not to shy away from learning this language because it really is a complete language of learning um, that will help catapult you and give you the confidence also to, to use these different technologies in a way that will benefit you know your, mm. your wider community I think yeah, cool. no, that's great advice. Thank you. <laughs> we got that's really cool. But you know, what's what is next? So now, this one thing I wanted to ask you exactly: your website is, and you're known as the face of New Zealand. Where did that come from? And and tell us a little bit more about the Moko. What is it? Because people often, you know, strangers coming to New Zealand, uh, even. even uh, New Zealanders who don't understand the culture that much are confronted by someone who has a tamoko um, and they don't understand the implications really of what that means and the difference between that and your normal tattoo, you know, your normal tattoo that every Tom, Dick and Harry's got. Yeah, so I, as I said earlier, set goals and one of the goals was to receive a tamoko because of the things I mentioned earlier, but I, what happened with the face of New Zealand, I'll come back to the Tamako soon, was I was asked to write an article, actually I was interviewed by someone who wanted to write an article on me as a professional speaker, and unknown to me, the magazine was going to be published over in Singapore, and someone read it there and invited me to a conference to speak over there. And so I ended up speaking to 3,000 people at an HR conference and someone saw me speak there and said, oh, we'd like you to come and speak to a conference in a couple of days' time in Kuala Lumpur. So I had to postpone the tickets home and, and uh, went and spoke at that conference. Someone saw me there and said, oh, we'd like you to speak at another conference in a couple of days' time in Kuala Lumpur. So I went and spoke at that conference. And when I was at that conference, I had a, a speaker's dinner the day the night before the conference and I happened to sit next to a lady from Google and she she came and saw me speak and said, no, nah, I'd like to invite you to New York to speak to our Google wow. office. Correct. And while we were there, we I'd met, because one of the businesses I had was a VIP business where I took VIPs from around the world and put them in helicopters and Rotorua and lim limousines and took them to some really cool places and I'd met a couple from New York and they said, look, if you're ever in New York, come and stay with us. <laughs> and I said, yeah, right. And, you know, but they kept in touch and really friendly. So when this invitation came, I said, oh, look, we've been invited to New York. Do you mind if we come and stay with you? And they said, they'd love, love to have us. So my family and I went over and stayed with them for a week. Wow. And she was a, uh, a marketing guru from New York. 
and we sat down for what have been half an hour. And she said, no, hang on, I'd just like to look at your speaking business. You know, there are a couple of things I've, I've noticed. And, and she said, what do you think of this idea? What if, what if you change your branding to the folks of New Zealand? Wow. And, I, you know, Kiwi boy, I thought, Kiwi Māori boy, I said, no, nah, I can't do that. That's <laughs> 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 just too arrogant. That's too, you know, all of the wrong things for our culture, blah, blah, blah. And after the end of the half an hour, she convinced me that it was the right business decision to make. Wow. And um, so we just changed our our branding to the face of New Zealand, changed our so people can Google us on the face of New Zealand and find us and all kinds of things. But for me it was it was a huge shift in in my mind about, you know, the Kiwi humility oh, yeah. and everything versus the business mind shift. And that's a challenge too, isn't it, Lisa oh, in business? Very you know much. what's very business and what is being Kiwi, you know, and it's that balance of the two, really, and and so for me, it's been like when I rocked up with my truck, which has got my face on the side and the face in the zone. My dad said, "Are you happy with that?" I said, "No, nope. no, I'm not, but it's business." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, so, so it's just it's just what it is, and so for me, my my tamako my tamoko though is something I am happy with. Yep. I'm very happy to wear tamoko, traditional tamoko on my face. It talks about who I am as a Māori. It's a sign of leadership. It's, uh, and since I received this gift, I have never, a part of my decision in receiving this important gift from my ancestors is that I've chosen not to drink alcohol, not to smoke cigarettes, not to do drugs or do anything bad and to be my best to be a good role model as a husband, father and and leader, and you know, for me it wasn't just about markings on my face, it was about markings on my soul and markings on my, my being of who I will continue to be as a Māori. And I remember someone asking me, look, you know, aren't you scared that you may not get employed because of your tāmoko now? And I said, well, if people don't want to employ me because of my tāmoko, then... I probably don't want to work there anyway. Yeah, very good answer. <laughs> and if they don't, but yeah, the the, the it, it's bringing across that understanding and having because you must get confronted with this all the time, especially as you're travelling outside of the country, um, to have to explain what this is and and why it is a sign of it is a it is a honour. Uh, because it has been the, the waters have been so muddied with with tattoos nowadays, and everybody's got tattoos everywhere, um, and can be misconstrued, um, and can be misunderstood, or is uh, confrontational for some people who don't understand the meaning behind it. And that's why I wanted to bring that up because I want people to understand that this is a beautiful thing. This is a a sign of a leader, a sign of of a man who's attained certain status within the the Maori community and he wears that with honour and with pride and has earned that um, and to get that sort of message across. Yeah, and, and for me it's it's also a sign of humility to to my culture. You know, it's a sign of humbling myself to okay, this is me, this is who I am. Um, if you don't accept me for being Maori, then that's cool, you know. And to be honest, Lisa, in all of my travels overseas, 
there is an extremely high level of respect for the Māori culture. I have never had any negative remarks from anyone overseas. Wow. They, the level of respect at times is is higher overseas than it is in New Zealand. Yeah. And that, that's just, you know, a prophet isn't without honour except as in, in his own, own hometown. And, and for me, the, the things that have happened overseas have just been incredible. You know, people yelling out and saying, Kia bro, and they know who you are. And also other indigenous cultures who know who we are as Māori and, and will say Kia and who will acknowledge the gift on my face, who will speak to me in Māori, you know, the little Māori that they know and will ask about how we are as a people. And, and the answers are really simple. You know, the latest is $50 billion. New Māori contribute $50 billion to the New Zealand economy. That's gone up from $37.5 billion two years ago. Wow. And it's just escalating big time. China, Korea, Asia, they all want to do business with Māori. And things are happening under the radar that New Zealand media just have no idea about. No, and that's how we like to keep it. You know, we, we, I'm a part of a trust. I was chairing the trust for five years that went from around $200 million to over $600 million worth of assets. And there are other Māori trusts that are going through the billion-dollar mark every year. And that's because of the businesses that are developing around our trusts. Even any of this is a Māori business person. As an entrepreneur, there are opportunities coming our way that don't come to other people. And the advantage of being Māori, my kids... You know, being a Māori doctor, etc., have just been given opportunities with scholarships that our ancestors have set up and other opportunities that are available to them that were not available 50 years ago. And there's a, there's a change coming. It's well, happening now. I, I've never seen any, any um, of that sort of stuff over, over, over our way, and I've never seen any benefits, to be honest, in, in my life uh, ever. Um, so it, it's good that things are changing, and I know like uh, our tribe Tiatiawa is in the middle of their uh, treaty settlements and stuff. So um, you know, hopefully there will be some good things coming from this. Um, do we have the depth of business leaders within our community to operate these huge companies or these huge trusts? You know. Yeah, and that's that's a for us, Lisa. That's a part of our generation. That's a part of our plan is, you know, I was one of 16 selected to go to Massey University on a scheme called Tutanata, which was a Māori scheme where they selected 16 Māori to send us to university and hopefully make a difference to our people as well. Yep. And for me, without know, knowing it, that was a part of a journey back to my culture as well, you know. And uh, so now in my generation, I've approved just bucket loads of scholarships, developed lots of scholarships through wow. trusts that I've been a part of where we are sending young people to exactly do exactly what you've said. We've got businesses coming up. We've, uh, if I can put it to you this way, you cannot get enough accountants. The main accounting businesses, the top four we call them, PwC, Deloitte, etc., they are headhunting Māori students doing accounting at the university and they cannot get enough. Really? Māori accountants because of the number of Māori businesses that are demanding that they have Māori accountants. The banks, 
you know, Tamati brothers, they had to sell their motorbikes to get a loan. Yep, yep. Well, now the banks are lining up and we're saying, no, we don't want you. You don't have enough Māori in your business. We will go with this bank. And banks are setting up their own Māori units within their bank systems so that they can work with Māori, and it's happening right across the world. And it's all happening under the radar. You know, yeah, there's a lot of stuff people don't know about. But Maybe it's more advanced there. to over where you are than where we are, when we are at, because, um, you know, like when I tried to get um, any sort of help and scholarships going into the, you know, uh, further education and postgraduate education, nothing. There's nothing. I couldn't get any help with any, any of that sort of thing. So it would be interesting to see whether different areas have evolved at different rates um, too, perhaps, you know. Yeah, like, it's, a, it's a challenge that I'd put for you. <laughs> I'd like to give you a challenge, Lisa. You know, Ateawa is about to receive, as you said, a lot of money. And my iwi were the same, and that's why they screamed out to me to come home and to do work with them and to do all kinds of things. And, and they are screaming out for expertise such as yours. They they need this generation. They, and if you were to turn up or, you know, let's just put it out there. If you just said, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm available, RTL, you know. Um, if you were to put it out there, I'm sure doors would start opening and you'd be able to make a big difference with your people. And it's, it's about that, isn't it? It's about stepping into their cap and saying, look, you know, we need to prepare for the next generation. The, there is... We're going to have our own hospitals. We're going to have our own accounting firms. We're going to have our own banks, you know. We need to prepare our people for those businesses that are coming. And That's exciting. I had yeah. no idea. No idea it was that, that, you know, far advanced. Like I said, I've been out of that sort of area for a long time. Um, so that's very, very exciting to hear that's good. that we're going ahead and we're contributing to the econ- economy and got some uh, big yeah. businesses right. going. That's fantastic. Hey, look, I've taken up enough of your time. Now, here, I'm sure there are other people banging on the door to listen to you. So um, I would just like to thank you really from the bottom of my heart for taking so much time out of your day today to share your insights, your cultural journey, uh, and to, you know, applaud you for all the hard work that you are doing. Um, You know, I think it's exciting. And if I can uh, be of any help in any way, let me know on my end. And uh, vice versa, I, 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 I'd say. Um, yep. You're a great leader. And thanks for taking the time today. Thank you, Miss. Anyway, I can help you in the future and say hello to your mum for us as well. It's great to hear your story with your mum and looking forward to the ongoing journey that you're having there and all the best and yeah i'll definitely be in touch especially around this it stuff thank you that's it for this episode of pushing the limits with your host lisa tamati please don't forget to rate review and subscribe and share all this goodness with your networks so we can impact more lives with positive insights and inspiring conversations and check us out online at www.lisatamati.co.nz
That's it for this episode of Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tamati. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share all this goodness with your networks so we can impact more lives with positive insights and inspiring conversations. And check us out online at www.lisatamati.co.nz.